and sorry, I'm just putting my volume up, but I think it's I think it's up as far as it can go. Right. OK. Um, so can you just start by saying your name and what your position is currently? Sure. Uh, so I'm Xin Xu. I'm a research fellow at the Center for Global Higher Education at the Department of Education. At the University of Oxford. Yes. <laughs> OK. <laughs> and um, let's just go back and uh, see how you got to where you are now. So uh, how did you first get interested in this field of study uh, and, and what have been the main sort of staging points in your career up till now? Yes, so my current research is about higher education and also the research on research, mainly that I research how research is being conducted and also research about research cultures, policies, ethics, etc. Mm. Um, so back, like, if we trace back in time, um, I first did my undergrad degree in China, so I was born in China and was educated there and I did my undergrad degree in English language and literature mm -hmm. at Tsinghua University in China, in mm -hmm. Beijing. Um, and then upon graduating from my bachelor's degree, I decided that I was also interested in social sciences studies and education and particularly higher education studies was something that I was really interested in. So I did my master's degree in higher education studies at Peking University, again in Beijing. Um, and after finishing my master's degree, I was like, oh, this is this has been fun and I would like to continue this journey. So um, I started my DFU doctorate here in Oxford. Um, and for my doctoral degree, I researched the internationalization and incentivization of humanities and social sciences research in Chinese higher education. And that started my um, stronger interests in both higher education studies and also the research on research. Um, upon finishing my DFU research, I started um, working at the department as a research officer and research fellow and then continued my research in those areas. Mm, mm. So when, which year did you come for your DPhil? Did you arrive in Oxford for your DPhil? That's uh, 2015. Okay, and you've been here ever since, yes. Ever since, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. So what are the big questions in education, higher education research? What are the 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 issues that come up that uh, investigators like you are, are trying to explore? Well, there are many, <laughs> many, 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 many questions, and perhaps some of the fundamental ones will be like, what is a higher education, and what is higher education for? And in terms of the research and research, we also ask question: what is research, and what is research for, and how should we conduct research? And that concerns the um, um, not only the procedures of research, but also the ethics of research and also the values of research, etc. We are also interested in the contributions of higher education and research, the impacts of higher education and research, because I mean, higher education and research, they are not in silos. They are connected with the human societies in general, right? So they are connected to economy, to politics, to, um, to the development of human beings in general. So that's also something that like researchers like me, we 
investigate. We also investigate like different stakeholders within um, higher education field. For instance, we look at um, peoples, we look at students, um, faculty members, uh, administrative staff, like basically people working within higher education um, institutions. We also look at organizations and institutions that will include higher education and research institutions and also, for instance, government uh, government offices, international organizations, etc., that are related to this field. Um, we also research, for instance, policy, uh, policies, um, documents, curriculum, etc., that are, we can say components, but also elements or uh, other things <laughs> within okay. education and research. Mm. Mm, mm. And and does the the uh, kind of um, the work that you do in this field and your colleagues do does that have an impact on policies either at the level of individual institutions or um, at the level of governments or other stakeholders? Mm, I think the answer is yes, and we also hope so. <laughs> uh, so because, for instance, the um, uh, research about higher education and research um, have been influencing how universities, research institutions make decisions about various issues such as student recruitment, um, curriculum reform, um, reform of um, academic workforce, and also beyond institutions, the studies have been influencing local, national, international policies, um, while the influences vary across contexts. <laughs> In mm. some contexts, uh, the policies are more research-based or research-informed, whereas it may not be the case in other contexts. But mm. I think researchers, many of the researchers like myself, we will hope that the studies we conduct would not only have impact within the scholarly communities, but also have like wider impacts. Mm, mm. And I mean, you're interested in this uh, on a global level. Um, how much variety is there between countries in how their higher education systems work? And uh, I mean, that's a very big question, but maybe you can give me a couple of examples of, of differences between, between countries. Mm, thank you for this question, because yeah, it's an interesting one, but as I said, it's a big question. And I would say that, first of all, there are huge variations in terms of how um, higher education and research are organized and practiced. Um, but I will also say that there are also similarities. Um, so to give you some examples of the similarities, perhaps first. So for, in terms of similarities, we're seeing worldwide a growth of um, enrollment into higher education and also tertiary education. So when we talk about when we talk about tertiary education, that will include both higher education and also, for instance, further education, vocational education. Um, so we're seeing this trend, like worldwide, as more and more people are engaged and participating in higher education and tertiary education. We're also seeing the increase of um, research productivity, if measured by the publications, research publications worldwide. So that's also similar in every context. Um, another common theme would be the prevalence of 
so-called Western models within global higher education and research. So that is exemplified by, for instance, the increasing use of English language for academic publications and for curriculum like teaching. So in many non-English speaking countries, there has been growth of um, curriculum that are delivered in English language. Um, and also we're seeing the um, how universities are organized and practice are more and more similar. Many universities are trying to become like Harvard or Oxford in, 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 in many contexts. So that's something that is happening um, around the world. And many scholars are taking a kind of critical eye or critical takes on this. And in terms of the variations, um, that is, well, um, there are so many. Uh, but for instance, in terms of the purpose of higher education, in some contexts, the purpose of higher education is more related to the public good or the uh, um, common good idea. For instance, in countries like Finland or the Nordic countries, the, uh, and also some Latin American countries, higher education is free from tuition fees. And there's a common notion of, you know, higher education is contributing and should be contributing to the public good in general. But in some other countries, higher education is more considered as a private good. And that is reflected both in the uh, private more a high proportion of privately funded institutions and also students also need to pay for their tuition fees by themselves etc uh, but also how higher education is governed so it's more like privately oriented and also more commercialized um, and this is also reflected in international education for instance in the UK <laughs> um, higher education particularly international higher education is perceived as like um, is much more marketed commercialized and related to marketization so it's often export and import goods to some extent mm -hmm. um, and this happens with australia um, in the united states to some extent as well whereas for some other countries like china the international education so is not so much about commercialization it's more about for instance increasing the um, um the attraction of china to to uh, um, to international students and also as a way to promote chinese culture or like the soft power of china so you will see that there's there has been many governmentally funded scholarships for international students mm. whereas in the UK and Australia and etc., the international education is more dependent on student paying high fees to enter the universities. So there are like many mm. differences yes. across the world. Yeah. But that also brings up the fact that the both the workforce and the student body um, is very mobile in in the world at the moment globally. That that. Um, I mean, I guess that's why you get some standardization across countries because people want to attract the top performing academics wherever the universities might be in the country and also the most able students. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, that's great. So that's given me a very good background to uh, the, the work that you do. Um, so going back to around the end of 2019, and obviously, as somebody with uh, connections to China, you would have been uh, perhaps more aware than most. <laughs> but can you remember when you first heard that there was a, 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 a problem developing around Wuhan and people getting very sick and, and how soon you, you realized that that might be something that would uh, affect us all globally. Yeah, so that, that story is quite, I think, individually um, individualized. And for me, the personal story was that I was in China in December 2019, 19, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I was in China. I was, I was there for um, for both academic purpose and also seeing my families. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was back in the UK in January. Mm. So when I was in China, I saw news about the. Um, uh, I don't think that was called coronavirus then, but like a disease that yeah. emerged um, in the news. And then, but then at the time, I was like not sure how big that would be and how huge that would be. And I don't, I didn't, I didn't know that was like becoming to develop into the COVID nineteen, etc. But uh, when I was back in the UK. And just to interrupt, on your flight back, were there yes. any um, precautions taken on the flight or any kind of um, testing? Um, not the no, not no testing or mm. no like uh, formalized like precautions because I came back early January. Yes, yes. But that's like very early. Mm. Uh, but for me, I came back with my parents so um they came with me to visit me and stayed with me for um we initially planned for a short period of time one two months or so um and then but as within my family we were cautious <laughs> of issues like such so we were wearing masks uh and even back in china mm -hmm. and and Partly that, that's also, quite quite common in China, isn't it, for people yes. to wear masks out of doors, either for pollution or influenza yes. or any other thing. Yes. Yeah, that's quite common, and also because during winter time, um, I was, um, I was cautious of getting flus. Mm -hmm. I got one during the year before that, and that was really serious. So I was like, uh, <laughs> I need to be cautious of that. Um, so yeah, we were wearing masks. Um, um, but that that were like really common masks, not the highly protective ones. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then when we got here, obviously news got developed, and I got information from both the like the TV and uh, official news lets, but also social media, social media platforms from China. So I got I, like I, my resources for information are like dual channels. Mm -hmm. So I have those BBCs and the English media and English social and also social media in English language and also the platforms and social medias in Chinese. So I got information from both sources. And I think 
um, people started to get serious, seriously worried about that um, in January um, mm -hmm. before it's like officially announced by WGO as the pandemic. Um, there have been discussions uh, around that in Chinese a lot. And I got really worried about that at that time. And that was around that time I bought a box of <laughs> masks um, in boots uh, when it's available, when it's easy to buy masks. But then when I think just a, a week later or something, you cannot get masks anywhere. That's that become that became difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and also friends, my Chinese friends, both here and also in China, or I think got maybe more aware of this issue earlier than many other friends and colleagues that don't speak Chinese. Yes, yes, yes. that's right. Yes, yes. Yeah. And that was also when my family and myself, my parents and myself, we started to wear masks here in Oxford. Um, mm, but I remember, <laughs> I remember I soon started to realize that it's not a thing that is commonly accepted here. And then I also remember I started to see news about Asian-looking people got beaten up or publicly assaulted uh, because of because they were wearing masks or were not like on street, and so that got me really concerned. Um, That's not something you personally ever experienced, though. No, no, no. Luckily, luckily, no. And um, I remember so. My parents and myself so one day we went into a restaurant here in oxford um and then that was around the time when people here started to uh, learn about the pandemic and 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 people were saying that i was from china and then it's really dangerous to see chinese people etc uh so when we walked into the restaurant we saw people like looking at us um with some i can't i can't say it's really something that is um not hostile but like mm. of a look that i wouldn't see yeah. normally if mm -hmm. without the pandemic mm -hmm. and that was uh i think after two weeks when we were back so my mom was like should we should we should we should we let them know that we're safe because we've been back for like for some time and it should it should be fine but i was like why 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 should it be our um why should it be the case that we will need to explain ourselves so that people don't look at us in a different way i mean this is not our Thoughts <laughs> in every way. Mm -hmm. I remember that. I remember the mm -hmm. um, the uneasiness and the sense of guilt, although it's not something that we personally did wrong. No, of course not. Yeah, um, but I, I remember that, and I, I also remember seeing negative, many many of the negative and irrational comments online. Uh, in English language, um, and that made me really uneasy for 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 some time. 
But I mean, term started again at the normal time, and you you had your normal uh, most of Hillary term pretty much as normal, didn't it? So when 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 did you? Was it? uh, I mean, I think the university more or less shut down the week before the lockdown, so that was about the middle Mm -hmm. of March. Um, Mm -hmm. But had you already started to think of how your research might turn to look at how the impact of the pandemic on higher education, or did that happen later? I think that happened some I think many things happened during January and between January and the lockdown in March within March. Yes, the actual lockdown was I think the 23rd of March, yeah, but yes. the university closed the week before, I think. Yes, so many things happened between that period. So there mm. were a sense of uneasiness, there were a sense of there were I was really anxious and then for in terms of because I also taught um, on classes, I'm also I'm still teaching on classes, and then I emailed my colleague. I remember emailing my colleague, telling them that I was just back from China. So should I attend the lecture or not? Um, and then they were like, "It's okay, <laughs> that's fine." Um, so they didn't really think that's an issue. And but but I was I was I remember I was feeling that I don't want to be the one to carry the virus to mm. my students and to mm. my colleagues. I might have wear mask to the class, but I, I don't think I was wearing that in classroom when I was doing that. But I mean, up to like two weeks or so, I was fine. So I felt, okay, then I yeah. should be okay. But I remember that sense of, you know, I don't want to be the one. Um, and also in terms of research, uh, I can't remember when I started to have the idea because um, as the pandemic like started and people started to get aware of that, I observed the really rapid responses within science about that when people started, when, when researchers started to uh, share publications in open access, when funders, publishers, journals, started to um, put out like um, calls for research to be published and data to be published, open access regarding this, um, regarding the coronavirus. Um, and also I started to read a lot about like science commentary, etc. Um, and also the started to get more conscious of the latest development of the research on coronavirus because that's something that I think is more of a reliable resource on how we could react and respond. Because at, at the beginning, we didn't have much information. We didn't know how infectious it is, how serious it is, and, um, and how should we respond to that. And there have been like debates about whether people uh, should be wearing masks or not, right? So those issues, I think, should be scientifically based. So I'm personally following that science evidence as well and then i can't remember the exact time but i i I was also like talking with friends and colleagues about relevant issues like that um and then yeah i I really can't remember the exact timing when i wanted to write a piece about that Uh, um and then i wrote a piece for the conversation it's a platform for 
communications with, I think, the public, with wider communities about science and research. And I wanted to write about how the, um, despite the, all the disruptions pandemic have brought to the world, uh, the science communities have been trying to tackle their issues um, with, for instance, the openness, with more openness within science. Um, so I wrote that, I think, perhaps during that one, two months mm. or so, and that's published and that got um, attention judged by the reader, the, the number of the readership. Mm -hmm. I was also contacted by people, um, by media um, to like to know more and to talk more about that and so that's something that's happened and another thing is that because my at that time my intended postdoctoral fellowship so i was on an esrc postdoctoral fellowship during that year my planned one would be about to continue the doctoral research directions about humanities and social sciences research in china and i had planned activities for instance I had planned to attend a conference in the United States um, in March or April. Um, and because of the pandemic, I started to rethink about the possibility, the, 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 whether I should go. I actually applied for my visa in January and got that, but then I later decided not to go because of the pandemic. Um, so that's something that happened between that mm. time. And did the conference actually take place at all in the end? Yeah, it took place, I think, half in, it might be in a hybrid mode. Oh, right. So okay. My presentation virtually, mm. so that's something that happened. Um, so that, was, uh, that must have been an early example of that. I mean, how this, I don't know if this is something you previously researched, but uh, the idea of hybrid working seems to me to be something that really didn't come up until the pandemic you know if there was a conference everybody would go you wouldn't say oh no I can't come I'll just uh, do my presentation online yes that's something that that is one of the huge impacts of the pandemic I think on how we work um, um, in every sector and in research conferences international conferences in hybrid mode is one of the examples mm. and I remember the conference organizing uh, committee have also been issuing uh, notices and updates like really frequently. And I can imagine the work behind all these and all the discussions and conversations that must have taken place to, dis to discuss whether to cancel this, how to move forward, etc. because the preparation have been like huge amount of time and efforts have been put in. And, um, I also remember like personally recording for my presentation online having an issue because <laughs> <laughs> I've never done that before. <laughs> and, A lot and of the technology was quite new, wasn't it? I mean, I know I had certainly never used Zoom before the pandemic and I, I guess it existed, but it hadn't grown into this huge thing at that stage. And similarly with Teams, I mean, we were all learning how to use them. Yeah, yeah. There, I've only, like personally, I've only uh, used like online meeting format for a few times before mm. the pandemic. But mm -hmm. since the pandemic, it has become like the norm, right? And I remember moving 
meeting with colleagues and students firstly on Skype and then <laughs> and then on Zoom and then move to Teams because that's the university rec uh, recommended um, software. And yeah, it's really that's such a that's a that's a process. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think I interrupted you because you were talking about mm -hmm. how you'd originally been intending to go on studying humanities and social science research in China. Um, yeah. And clearly yeah. not just the conference, but you, there are a lot of things you wouldn't be able to do, like you wouldn't be able to visit China, presumably. No, no, I wouldn't be able to. And I had planned trip, uh, uh, like research trip to Hong Kong. That wouldn't happen. That couldn't happen. And I had planned to take... Um, to attend a training course in um, Leiden about bibliometric studies, and I couldn't attend in person. I also applied for visa for that, and <laughs> because uh, I mean, I need to apply for visa to 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 go to many countries because I'm Chinese citizen. Uh, but then that that moved online, so I ended up attending that online, which went well. But then it's also a change of plan and i couldn't and also because of the various of things that are happening i couldn't really focus myself on by continuing the 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 previous research direction because there's like so many things that are happening and so many um issues that come up that came up every day and also personally my parents who were like like because the flights started to get cancelled and they didn't want to be stuck here because <laughs> 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 they were they were visiting me during the break right they, they also need to uh, return to their work and so and but their return flights have been cancelled and rescheduled and cancelled rescheduled every day so that was really worrying uh at that time at some time we thought maybe they were stuck here for we don't know how long time so that was something also taking up my energy uh and were like concerning so because i was like full calling the airline companies almost every day <laughs> to see if we can rebook and reschedule and that's something that couldn't be done online mm -hmm. um, because of the huge number of cancellations that were happening so in the end they managed to come back to china before the lockdown oh, wow. um, that's fortunate but we were also like hugely concerned about like whether if they will get affected in, <laughs> during the flight and mm. things like that during the travel and uh, after they returned to China I think very shortly there there were no flights between China and UK then and 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 then I remember like my students and some other Chinese students and friends, they they were too afraid to stay here. Um, but then it's also difficult to get tickets or to have flights to come back to China. 
so some of them paid like huge like really high prices to uh, book for like privately organized flights or really expensive tickets to go back there and yeah some of my friends went back to China then and then never got the chance to get back here mm. you know <laughs> and I, just, I'm, I'm interested that I mean I've never Mm. I, I, I hope this isn't, um, uh, I'm not quite sure the word is overly nationalistic, but I'm interested mm. that they felt they would be safer to fly yeah. back to China, which was the epicentre of the pandemic, than yeah. to stay in the UK, which at that time had mm. very few cases. Yes, that's, I think, partly because, uh, partly because at that time, it's like people didn't know how long it would take. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense of, of fear of being separated from families, yeah. potentially forever. So mm -hmm. that's a fear that that many people have, and and that had. And another thing was that because of the issues of uh, Chinese people or Asian people being attacked, assaulted, or or um uh, in our facing racial hates or crimes etc people were worried so people like me we we started to feel worried to wear masks in public spaces which shouldn't be the case mm, <laughs> yeah. yeah and then another thing was that um in china though there were more much more cases people feel like the how it's can handled was more seriously, like uh, people were in lockdowns, and then and then like people took it seriously. But here there were debates and um, about whether we should take it seriously and whether there should be lockdowns and and then whether it's a big thing or not. So the general opinion, I think, were quite different. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, I don't want to go into details about like the governmental regulations, etc., because people have different opinions about that. Uh, but I mean, in general, during that time, I think people in China think that the thing they took it much more serious. Yes, yeah. Um, and partly because of the previous experience with the SARS. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also because of um, perhaps a more sense of the culture, the public culture mm -hmm. of being, you know, more collective in a way that less individualized and then and then so yes so we're facing this pandemic and then if i need to be locked need to be locked down then okay i will um i'll be at home mm. so that's something that people will do but then here it's it's a quite different scenario mm. but then i mean if we look at these issues for a longer period of time we we are seeing we have been seeing the um prolonged lockdowns and that in fact in China that have happened last year and in recent 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 times. But during that time, yes, like people 
some people will feel safer and oh yeah and some of the friends and colleagues have been were really worried about their family members in china yeah. and at the beginning when they were when it's easier to buy masks here we're trying to get like a uh, house or masks uh, etc to to send back to china but then very soon people realize that it's difficult to get it everywhere <laughs> um and also in my cases some of my friends they were doing they were planning to do field work in china and they knew if they don't get into china then it will be impossible or very tricky for them so those friends they also kind of rushed back to China to be able to collect data and etc. Mm -hmm. So that's also something, maybe just a small proportion mm -hmm. of, of people. And also for students on one year master's program, they knew they would need to be back in China um, because many of them would not be able to apply for jobs here and may or, or wanted to apply for jobs in China after graduation. That's their plan. And they knew that if they stay a longer period of time, there were like increased uncertainty yeah. about that. Mm -hmm. So people were kind of rushing back to China mm -hmm. due to various reasons. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's a very, very interesting perspective, which I haven't picked up from any, anyone else. But you stayed, uh, and you wrote your piece in the conversation. So that did did that uh, give you the idea that, that here was a research project that you could undertake to uh, explore further how the uh, scientific community, particularly. I mean, was it were you particularly interested in the scientific community or higher education in general? Um, I think also higher education um, and science, and so. I think at that time, another thing that's happening was that within the science areas and also in higher education, um, when the pandemic became officially acknowledged as a thing, when people, when all, when all people started to take it seriously, there started to be to have funding calls for research on COVID nineteen pandemic. Uh, and and also more and more colleagues and researchers started to pay attention to this issue and started to shift the research focuses on issues relevant to the pandemic. So that's something that's happening. Um, and for myself, um, I also have colleagues who wanted to explore those issues. And we, we, were, we also talked about and worked together on issues to develop like funding proposals and to develop um, collective works on this. And one of the examples would be, um, uh, so there was later a, uh, later I put together a, webinar series mm -hmm. hosted by the Center for Global Higher Education. And that's the topic was um, discussed and proposed by um, colleagues at the center. So 
we wanted to have a webinar series about the pandemic and higher education. Um, and for the because for the Center for Global Higher Education, we host seminars before the pandemic that happen in person at UCL usually and sometimes in Oxford about higher education issues. And then since the pandemic started, we very soon moved to webinar formats. Um, and that the webinars received like audience worldwide and we started to realize that it's really it's a really nice way to connect with colleagues and people interested in higher education worldwide and also because the topics that we we research are not like nationally or locally bonded and some of the issues are quite related to global contexts so we we, we thought that yes that's that's a good platform uh, and, and I mean, the decisions were made uh, mostly by our director, Professor Simon Marginson, and also other colleagues on the, uh, uh, the um, what's it called, research management committee, I think. Um, and then for the, for the webinar series about global research, so I was encouraged by them, by Simon, to start a um, webinar about global pandemic about the pandemic and global research um and so at that time i can't remember the exact timing because now that i think back i feel like the few the the few months between january and perhaps summertime have been really there were so many things that happened Mm. felt like a swirl and 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 so many emotions and so many things so many activities and had happened there then so for me those are like really pieces mm. scattered there and here and there so i will need to like try to piece them back but i yes. don't remember the yes. exact, exact i did time. i did watch the webinar because it's still available oh. a a webinar um mm. And I'm just trying to remember myself when it was. Could it have been June? Could it have been June? Yeah, or was it, it might have been summertime because yeah. I remember the, I can remember the weather. It's not that cold. <laughs> and I, I can remember like there, there more daylight mm. at that time. So it should be uh, around summertime. Mm. But then the preparation took before, uh, long before that. Mm -hmm. um, so I invited colleagues. Uh, I invited uh, Dr. Gemma Derrick because I wrote her piece um, in Nature about the um, pandemic and the kindness in research communities that happened um, since the pandemic. I really like that. Uh, and, and, and also because I think, I can't remember exactly at that time, whether I had personal connection with her, but I mean, I work with her now. <laughs> what, what was her name again? Sorry, I didn't quite uh, It's uh, Dr. Gemma Derrick. She's oh, right. based yeah. at Bristol University. Yeah. Yes. Um, and another panel member, a colleague, um, I invited because also because of the work, <laughs> because of his work on the um, research on pandemic. Uh, on the COVID-19 and I like that so I invited him as well um, and the chair 
sorry. And who is that? Um, it's uh, the name and the name for me. Oh, not to worry. I can look it up. Yeah, because I don't, I don't, I don't want to mispronounce it. So <laughs> <laughs> let me let me have a very quick chat so that. Research. Um, it's um, Dr. Giovanni. Yeah. Visa. Yeah, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That sounds fine. Is <laughs> so, uh, and the chair uh chair was professor alice moncha who mm -hmm. i also work with and she's uh the project lead of the current project i'm working on so we research the role and value of research in global science and in in, in global in higher education and her research expertise uh, has also been our research on research mm -hmm. and we've also talked about and discussed issues about the pandemic and influences on research etc during that time as well so um so that's the panel and for me for myself ah yeah i can remember at that time i was preparing another uh, short piece or commentary for international higher education about the influence impacts of the global pandemic on higher education global higher education research um so i think i drew on that writing for the presentation myself oh. Um, and to prepare for that writing, I think I um, mostly read about scientific publications, commentaries, uh, discussions online, and discussed with colleagues um, about the potential impacts that, or the actual impacts that may be emerging. Um, about the pandemic on global science. So I talked about the collaboration, mm -hmm. the potentially increased collaboration to tackle the pandemic, but also potentially restrictions of potential restrictions on scientific collaborations and potential increase in terms of competition. Mm -hmm. In collaboration, I also talked about research cultures, how like the science communities may be may be embracing the culture of open science and open research more because of the pandemic, and how the value of humans or the humanism may be more perceived and valued and practiced when the hard question research was or may became more human-centered. Um, and then I think I also talked about the um, inequalities that were happening um, at that time. But at that time, I think 
it's more of an observation but now we're seeing more evidence um of how people are disproportionately affected by the pandemic for instance gender has been playing a huge role um whereas we have been seeing evidence of how female scholars uh, have been hugely more hugely impacted by male colleagues um during the pandemic if we measure that in terms of scientific outputs um and we're also seeing the uh, evidence about the racially disproportionate uh, effects of the pandemic on people i mean not just faculty members including international students international stu uh, student bodies etc um we're also seeing evidence about like how socioeconomic status i mean as always affect how people have been influenced and impacted by the pandemic it's um it's a it's a storm that affects everyone but different people were under different shelters mm. something that we've been witnessing mm. um and do you think i mean have you been able to drill down into the reasons for those disparities uh for example mm. the, the disadvantage for women Mm. Is, is that to do with the behaviour of their colleagues or is it more to do with the fact that they're more likely to be having to take on caring responsibilities under lockdown circumstances when schools are closed and that kind of thing? There are definitely various of reasons behind this. So one of the reasons would be what you've mentioned, the um, um, more socially or commonly or widely perceived role for women to be taking the caring responsibilities. Um, and that happened in families with, with children. So in families when they're, I mean, during the school lockdowns, women have been like taking more responsibilities. And this also happened in workplaces when women or female um, colleagues tended to take up more of a supportive or caring roles in supporting students, supporting colleagues, and taking administrative uh, works. And, and during the pandemic, when lots of things that need to be done really urgently, and when there were like chaos, uh, etc., so women, co female colleagues, I mean, I'm using women and female interchangeably, but I know there are differences and nuances. Um, but then it's more of a it tend to be the burden that are on the shoulders of uh, women and also in terms of um, mental health issues as well like um, it also affect women um, not like I mean potentially more um, and and also in terms of like the general landscape I mean, women have been um, at a disadvantaged positions already, even without the pandemic. And the pandemic just uh, intensified those disadvantages and inequities. So that's something that um, I think that's also another another reason for that is. 
You, you mentioned that ethical issues were one of the areas that you were interested in uh, generally across your research. What were the main ethical issues that arose in terms of research as a result of the pandemic? Mm. So one of the tensions about researching COVID-19 or, res or researching or doing research during the COVID-19 is about, on the one hand, we'll need something that is really will need findings, evidence that are urgently, like uh, very urgently. But on the other hand, there are also issues about academic rigor, um, research quality, and also the responses that researchers have for themselves, for the community and for people, for participants. So those tensions raised lots of issues. For instance, I talked about how um, science community have been more open in terms of there have been an increase of the number of publications that are published in open access or as preprints um, that everyone in the world can access immediately. But that had triggered issues about um, false news or scientific evidence that have been have not been peer-reviewed and or it's not rigorous enough and that could lead to like not rigorously informed decisions mm -hmm. um, another issue is that i mean i've mentioned that many people started to shift their attention to researching relevant issues about COVID-19 but then how about the researchers themselves uh, when everyone is when everyone was facing this uh, public health issues and there are many like health and safety concerns that researchers themselves should consider for themselves before they you know before everyone continue to work hard right um, and, and, and also there are issues about research participants, right? The health and safety issues of research participants. How do you ensure that during the pandemic uh, when you're also trying to do research? Um, and, 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 and one of the examples perhaps, for instance, is that at that time, many, many people may have, may wanted to interview colleagues working in hospitals or in science, lab, in science labs. But given the tremendous burden and time that they would spend um, on researching and the COVID-19 and, 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 and the virus and trying to develop vaccines and cures very rapidly, maybe we don't want to disrupt and disturb them that much at the time and for uh, research participants that are from the vulnerable groups from regions like, for instance, the Global South, um, there are ethical concerns to, 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 to have when, when, when people, even before you start reaching out to people like that during the difficult time, mm -hmm. right? So there were, so those were like, the issues that were relevant um, to research during the pandemic. And our colleagues 
Um, so Professor Alice Wonchev mentioned, and another colleague at our department who's uh, doing doctoral research on um, epistemic injustice in research in Kazakhstan, uh, Algamong. So we started to do a research about uh, ethical issues in comparative and international education research during the pandemic. I can't remember the exact time when we applied for the grants or when we started, etc. But that's something I think stirred from the observations and the uh, discussions. Yeah, sorry, I can't remember if that happened during that first few months or something like that. But yeah, that's related. Mm -hmm. No, well, I, I, it's quite understandable. It was such a strange period that it's <laughs> difficult to. <laughs> Your perception yeah. of time changed a lot, I think, over that, over that period. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's I don't know. I don't know why. When I was talking with you about this, I, I also many of the images uh, also started to occur, and I remember meeting my students online on Skype, and 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 how I was very worried about them because they were like in their um room like single rooms and not being able to socialize with other people and be feeling stressed and etc yeah so that i don't know i don't know why but those kind of images just came back to me yeah. and you <laughs> wow. that kind of memory that works in in images but it's i mean that's that is something that i i usually bring up when i'm doing these mm -hmm. interviews is is how you were impacted personally by the pandemic and you already told me quite a lot about that the the huge anxiety you had about yourself and your parents and so on um how threatened did you feel yourself about the possibility of becoming infected with with covid Oh, at that time, I think I was really worried and super cautious. So I have been, so since the lockdown, I don't think I've met anyone in person for a long time. <laughs> for a very long time. But still now? No, I mean, between now. I was talking about like the, the first few months of the. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then, you know, there were the lockdowns have been lifted for some time and then came back. Yes. For yeah. a period of time. But for myself, yeah. I've been mostly quarantined in in the quarantine stage. So if I'm meeting friends, I I've I was like meeting them uh outdoors, wearing masks and maintaining like distance, etc. Mm -hmm. And then I'm one of the people who still wear masks now in uh, public transport and in um, like the uh, indoor spaces. I yeah. still wear masks when I teach in classrooms. Uh, I took off my mask when I was speaking, but then I wear I, I wear masks most of the time indoors. Mm -hmm. So I'm one of the people <laughs> who is <laughs> super super cautious. Mm -hmm. uh, of this <laughs> yeah. and did the um the the vaccine you know, the the fact that you were able to get a vaccine did that uh, um, relieve your fears to some extent yes that certainly did mm. i think before we before people were able to get vaccine the coronavirus 
um, was considered really fictitious and it's really and we've been seeing cases really serious cases of people mm. get affected and um so after i got vaccinated i think i've more yeah i felt better although after my i can't remember if after the first or second vaccination i got side effect that was really serious and i was like oh it's um if i really got the COVID, it should be even more worse <laughs> than that yes but vaccination did help a lot i think and and have you ever got the virus it sounds to me as if you've been so careful you probably haven't yeah i haven't i'm touching you <laughs> <laughs> no it's becoming harder and harder to meet anybody who's never had it now i yes. had it last summer but not at all badly that's, that's <laughs> and good. there seems to be quite a lot of it about it at the moment i keep hearing of people who've had it just for a few days yeah uh, that's yeah. that's good it's yeah. um it's good that the vaccination seems to be working mm. uh, in this way yes mm -hmm. so going back to your your research mm -hmm. um has the um the work that you did related to the pandemic mm. um, raised new questions in your mind for um, areas that you would like to investigate uh, in the way the research community works. Yes, definitely. So um, one of the issues about research ethics that um, I've talked about as something that I continued working on with colleagues I've just mentioned, and another thing was about the um, the um, Actually, many of the issues I've talked about or continued in my current research um, interests and directions. Um, and for instance, the issues about the, um, the humanness within research culture and how we should um, or how we could value the, the people within hard kitchen research more as human rather than as something that is objectified um commercialized or, <laughs> or like uh, quantifiable then that's something that i'm personally really interested in exploring more mm. um but and are there instances of good practice that you can point to in in that regard um, yeah so this relates to actually what i'm uh, going to say so in in the current project that i'm conducting with colleagues uh, on the role and mission of research we've uh, we've been interviewing people in different countries and different contexts and one of the issues that emerged was about the responses to the covid-19 pandemic and um so we've found we've identified various types of responses from different systems, but one thing, one thing that is, um, I mean, I don't want to sound really negative or, but there seems to be, in some cases, it seems to be that people were aware of the need of the importance to change during the pandemic, but then in the kind of the post pandemic period or when people think it's kind of over 
things started to shift back into the quote-unquote normal and some of the good practices didn't got to be kept so that's something that 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 happened <laughs> in some cases um and in some other cases is we're seeing changes that continued for instance the hybrid way of uh, working that continued the uh, understanding of the need to provide the options to work hybridly and to cater for the um, needs of different people uh, seem to continue in, in, in some instances. Yes. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Now that's very much come up in the interviews that I've done that, that some uh, people who've, who, who've I've interviewed who worked on things like the vaccine program um, went through an incredibly stressful time and there was no way of addressing that stress that they were just told you have to do this you have to do this there is no extra time to take you just have to do it but other people have worked in environments where the stress was recognized and they were told just go home for a week don't come back for a week just take some time to your, to yourself because you need that um and uh yeah it, it'd be very interesting to see that um discussed more widely but um yes it is a bit of a shame if it if the status quo is just going to reassert itself <laughs> yeah 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 so because what we understood as normal um before the pandemic may not be as you know ideal or 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 like mm, may not be optimal beneficial yeah yes is it may not be the environment that provides equal opportunities and equal work experience and learning experience for everyone. And we have been seeing some changes into positive or some directions into positive changes during the pandemic, but it's a question of how and whether those positive changes will remain <laughs> mm. 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 how and the lessons have been learned or not yeah yeah um and and um so for yourself how has working on these problems changed or has it changed the way you look at your own work and and what you might like to do in the future mm. so definitely uh if with the if without the pandemic, I I might be still interested in the areas that I'm working on, but then um, no, I, I can't I can't imagine I can't imagine what would happen <laughs> if without <laughs> the pandemic. Um, but then yes, I personally my research interests are certainly much more developed because of the research and because of the thinking, because of the experiences during the pandemic and I think I'm also more I also became more aware of certain issues um yeah another thing another huge thing that happened during the pandemic was the the the, the kind of discussions and right heat rise of discussions and movements about the colonial 
um, movements um, and those discourses and that happen not only in societies but, but also in research, in higher education and research. So, I mean, that's also one of the areas that I personally became more um, intensively aware of. I was aware of that. Um, I was doing research relevant to that, but then that, like during the pandemic, the 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 movement itself and the relevant um, discourses, discussions, activities made me more highly um, active. Mm-hmm. That so was so, that in relation to things like the selection of uh, participants for clinical trials, or um, how how did that the mm-hmm. the issue of decolonization um, present itself in the work that you were doing is so the um, so for for me for instance when we were doing research we um, so for me personally I I tried to engage with more of the um, scholarly works and discussions and discourses in my research um, from the disadvantaged regions and groups and then in terms of like participants and the countries and regions that I focus on I also try to expand my research scope and in terms of the curriculum in terms of the teaching we colleagues and myself we've also been trying to engage more with the colonial dis- um, discussions in the, for instance, reading list and teaching contents. I mean, it's a journey, it's a process. It's, um, there's no end to this, but I think uh, also as a department, um, as an institution, I think colleagues within our department have been more aware and attentive to those issues. Um, is so that's something that is uh, relevant and in uh, like more clinical sciences areas um, um, I, th- I think like people were also as you said were more aware of like the um, this proper this proportion this proportionate uh, yes <laughs> yes uh, I, I, I need some coffee now um, English is so good it's so good it's just that word seems to be <laughs> There's certain words, there's certain words like that, yes. So um, people were like in clinical sciences are becoming like more, also more aware of those issues. Mm. 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 So, I mean, this sounds like a terrible question, but would you say that the the pandemic has actually been beneficial to your career as as a researcher in your field? I hesitated because I, I know. <laughs> yeah, because I think beneficial might maybe I would say it's helpful in some way. Mm-hmm. But I I'm not that comfortable saying it's beneficial because no, well, obviously because so it was very harm. bad for a lot of people, but yeah, uh, yeah, it has like caused so much harm and 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 yeah and. I mean, personally, it's helpful in some way, as I've mentioned, but it's also 
not beneficial and not helpful in many other ways. Mm-hmm. So, there um, were there have been like um, like stress, anxieties, um, and also potentially missed opportunities because I couldn't engage with more people. I mean, online engagement has been helpful, but then uh, if there were like more opportunities to meet people and build communities and collaborations in person, there may be other like different scenarios, etc. So um, I don't know if that's really beneficial or not. Mm-hmm. And also because of the harms the pandemic has brought, uh, to people all over the world and because of the um, intensified injustice and inequalities during the pandemic I personally don't want to say it's a very good thing no it's, it's not a good thing uh, not very it's, it's not a good thing so um, if if mm, let's, let's, let's do it this way so if I have this um, magic click that, that if I clicked it and then things never happen and we can travel back in time, then I would click it so that pandemic never happened. So that would that would be the way I see it. Um, and yeah. That's great. Thank you very much. Oops, sorry. <laughs> 